the BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Hello and welcome to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, which you can download for free on the BBC Essex website. That's bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. I'm Ken Crowther and this week my special guest was Jeff Hodge. Some of the questions we answered range from fuchsias, potatoes and tulip bulbs. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther, every Saturday from 11. And we started by chatting with Irene in Loughton. Hello there. Um, I've got, got a problem with my acer tree. I've had it a very long time, um, and it was always in a great big tub, where mm-hmm. obviously it's been okay, it's been keeping well. And um, we decided to take it out and put it into the soil, and that because obviously it, it was getting blow, being blown over with the wind and everything. And the last few months it wasn't too bad, but then about a month ago... Um, it all started getting, all the brown leaves all started going brown and mm-hmm. all curling up on it. So firstly, when did you move it, Irene? About three months ago, right. in the summer, early so summer. Didn't choose the best time to move an acer, did they, Jeff? really? Well, it's in the tub, we put the tub in the soil, we didn't take it out the tub. Oh, we I see. It into the soil, thinking it would keep it even and it wouldn't keep blowing over because the, the wind kept on moving it. And it kept all right. And then, obviously, it started, you know, going mm. like this about yep. a month ago. And um, we've decided, well, perhaps it's got a little bit of pot grown, uh, you know, all the um, roots. So we took it out. We pulled it out the pot, refreshed all the hole up and put some John Inns around it and everything, made the compost all nice. And, um, and now it's still really got bad again. And I've had it a long, long time, but I just don't know why the, all the leaves are all gone brown. Well, I, I think the problem, Irene, is, is the treatment the, yeah. <laughs> that you've given it. Um, I oh, mean, really? Yeah, I, I would imagine that it's basically just dried out. So having been, you know, the pot sunk in the ground, it's very likely that it didn't get enough water. Then you've lifted it out and you've replanted it. So I, I think it's basically just suffered, suffered a bit of what we call transplant shock. So right. the, roots, the roots haven't grown enough into the, the new soil. The root ball has probably dried out during the summer months. And because I did water it. I watered it quite frequently yeah, to make sure that the water all went that, into it. That's, like. what, that's what we all say, Irene. Yeah, I did. No, I really watered <laughs> it well. So I think it, it's just resettling into its new position now. So now that we're into the autumn, the, obviously yeah. the leaf, the, all the leaves are going to drop, which is great news because that will take the stress off the plant well, it, and it take the stress. It normally goes red, doesn't it? The leaves go red. Yeah, but the fact that the, the fact that it's but... the fact that it's gone brown, it says that you it it's, hasn't it's had it, it, it hasn't had enough water and it's basically dropped its leaves early as a oh, as okay. a react as a reaction to not having enough water. So, so scrape the bark and see what it's like. No, I don't, I don't think you need to do that. It's okay. And when I took the leaves off, instead of cutting the branches where the leaves gone brown, thinking it's dying, I've just pulled the leaves off the little, all the little branches, yep. and they're all red. They're still pinky like. Yeah. So no, I've sounds... just got rid of all the leaves. But if the front's okay, it's all round the back of it at the moment. Yeah, so but the, I know it's going to spread because you nothing, can see the top the, of it. There's nothing to worry about. The leaves are going to drop. So, and I wouldn't cut them off, to be perfectly honest. No. I would leave them to drop naturally. Um, maybe even give it a little bit of water if we have any dry periods over the next couple of weeks. But the roots are probably going to establish, because the roots grow quite well during autumn and winter. It'll establish over the next couple of months. And come next spring, the likelihood is, unless it has really, really suffered over this summer, the likelihood is it will come into leaf quite normal next year and there won't be any problem. 
Okay, that number to call is 0300 200 40 41. There's a line free at the moment, and we go to Jenny in Leadella. Hey, what you got for us, Jenny? Oh, morning. Um, I've got two questions. Shall I start with my main one? Yes, go, on, go for your main one. Okay, the main one is this um, little tree I've got, which is a Clarodendron Trichotoba. Well done. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Not an easy one to pronounce, that one, is it? No. Well, I know what it's meant to look like because there's a fabulous one in the village and mine just never looks the same. Um, the branch is really brittle. The leaves are never dark green. It never looks sort of lush. It's just got leaves at the end. Yeah. Um, and I just have a few flowers. Um, okay, so how old is it, Jenny? Uh, well, I had it... I bought it from a, an open garden, so it was about, you know, two and a half feet when I bought it. Um, and it's now about four and a half feet. Yeah, sorry, how, how old? When did you... Oh, when did sorry, you... I've had probably planted it five years ago. OK, all right. Should have established it looking good, shouldn't it? And... It always looks as if it's just hanging on. Where, where is it planted? It's in a border, and it's facing east. Um, it gets the sun from the east and the south. Um, gets OK. A look. Yeah. That, that may be the mm. issue. Um, clerodendrons, uh, most of the clerodendrons that we grow in this country are actually house plants because they are not, uh, they're not hardy at all. Um, even this particular species, and, and I've got one in my garden, uh, which I grow in a container, um, is, 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 is it, it's softish, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, soft, that's a good way to put softish, it. It's kind of it? borderline mm. hardy. Um, and as a result, it really needs to, to, to ripen the wood to make sure that it grows well and ripening the wood is very important for flowering it really needs plenty of warmth and sunshine and i would say east facing it's not good it's enough, not going to get enough sunshine and, and enough warmth to ripen that wood which is why you're not getting any good flowers mm. so if you possibly can come the come november time would probably be a good time or you could leave it until early march next year if you can find somewhere where it's going to get more direct sunlight, um, I would lift it and replant it somewhere warmer. Oh, right. I would say that it probably gets loads of sunshine where it is. Yeah, east it's facing. You see, it's probably going to get. It's it's cool not. Winds. It's going to get. Yeah, cold cool winds. Cool, cool winds. Cold winds, mm. and it's not getting the right amount of sunlight at the right time of day. Oh, okay. So I, I think if you can if you can carefully lift it, so basically take as big a root ball as as you possibly can with with as little root disturbance as possible, and put it somewhere where it's going to be more south facing, you are going to get far better results mm. from it. Okay. Because what happens if if it's certainly in an east facing aspect, when we come into autumn and winter, when the temperatures drop, it's gonna it's not necessarily. Well, it is important to get good summer sunshine, but in the autumn and winter, it's getting so little sunshine in that sort of position that it's um, it's basically um, going backwards during the autumn and winter, and then it's struggling to come back into force in the spring and summer. Right. Okay. And you had, you had another quick question, didn't you, uh, um, Jenny? Just about the fuchsia, the disease that it gets. I think it's, is it gall mite? Yeah, it's well, not a disease, it's, not, it's, some, it's, it's, a, it's literally a mite. It's a oh, little okay. insect. It's an insect pest. Okay. Yeah. So I, I dug one up two or three weeks ago when you were talking about them. Um, can I put one in the same hole in its place? Okay, well, the the mite itself is, uh, on the plant, is, it? is in the plant. It's not in the soil as such. 
Right. So, so the the likelihood of uh, it's spreading from an infected one that you've removed onto mm. a new one that you put in the same place is highly, highly unlikely. Okay. So the so the answer to that is yes, but I wouldn't be planting fuchsias at this time of year. Best in the spring, isn't it? Even no, even. I've just got a hardy one that's actually in a pot, which I thought I could put in the border. Well, and what what would you do with it if you didn't put it in the border? Um, wrap the pot up for the winter. So you've got nowhere to protect it over winter. No, it is a hardy it's one. It's a hardy one. I don't, yeah. I don't care. No, I don't roots, care. The, roots the word struggle, hardy is totally misleading. What we should call them is hardier, not hardy. <laughs> right. Softish. Because they, they are hardier than, than, the, than, than our summer bedding fuchsias, but they are, the vast majority aren't totally 100% hardy. If we get a harsh winter, it'll kill it. So I would suggest if you can possibly, if you had a greenhouse that you could overwinter it in, I would do that. Um, because, because any tender plant or semi-tender or partially tender plant is best planted in spring. If you could overwinter it in it. a greenhouse, then do that. But if you're going to leave it in its pot outdoors, then it is far better to in plant it. Because it's the, the, what, what suffers is the roots. And if the roots are above ground level, they're more likely to get frost damage. So if you plant it, the roots will be insulated by the soil. So I would plant it. Oh, 300, 200, 40, 41. Join in and join us on Gardening, the Gardening Hour here on BBC. That's 0300 200 40, 41. You can text me 81333. Put Essex on the front. We go to Beverly and Before Canoodin. we go to Beverly. Yep. But for anybody else out there who's yep. thinking of planting hardy fuchsias, wait till the spring. Wait until the spring. Beverly and Canoodin, you're not thinking of planting a hardy fuchsia, but you were going to tell us what you'd planted in the tub. Is that right, Beverly? Well, I haven't planted it yet. Oh, it why has, not? They haven't arrived. What you, you bought? Suggested um, wallflowers and white narcissus. Yes, narcissus. I did. Right. Well, to come they through. Haven't them. arrived yet. Yeah. But I, what I wanted to know, because you said to put blood. Blood, fish and bone. Oh, it was, yeah, my guest yeah. said blood, fish and bone. Right. At what point do I put that in? Do I put it in well, now while right. I'm preparing the soil? We all have different ideas on, on <laughs> fertilisers, you see. And he said blood, fish and bone because he likes using blood, fish and bone. It's not my right. favourite. Basically, if you've got a good fertiliser, general fertiliser, it's worth putting it in in the autumn. It won't necessarily do a lot of good in the autumn, will it, Jeff? But it'll do no it, it'll do no good in the autumn. But it's there some of some of it will be there for the spring. If not, I would feed in the spring. Right. I've got a gen uh grow more. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I've got something else as well. Can't Use grow more. So, so, Beverly, you're, you're going to be planting these in the ground. No, in a tub. No. tub. In a tub. tub. Mm. Right, I certainly wouldn't use blood, fish and bone in no. a container. No, no way. Um, no? No, no, absolutely not. Right. So you're going to be... You, so I, you're, won, I won it, yeah, look, won some last week. <laughs> oh, well, that, no, we'll use it. It's ideal for putting in a tub. <laughs> so you're going to be using fresh potting compost? Uh, yes. Right, so fresh potting compost has enough fertilizer in it to sustain growth for at least five to six weeks. Some oh, of them, well, some uh, of them. I want it to sustain. Hang on, whoa, whoa, 
some of them have controlled release fertilizer that will feed for six months. So basically, when you plant your wallflowers and you plant your tulips in fresh potting compost, there is absolutely no need to put any extra fertilizer in it because there is enough in the compost. Right. And plants aren't okay. going to be and plants aren't going to be growing much during the winter, and therefore don't need supplementary feeding. So right. come spring, come probably early March, then you can use your grow more to feed them because that's just when they will need it. Don't put it on the foliage; just work it around the plants. Okay, so I give I give the bone meal back. To, to the people and, and they can put it back in a in a in a raffle. Absolutely, that's yeah, what I would that's what I would, that's what I would do. Okay. Right. OK, thanks very much. Thanks, Beverly and Canoodan. And the thing about gardening is we've all got different ideas on what we should do, and that's, that's yeah, the problem. And some people's it? ideas are absolutely ridiculous. And no, so, and no, so, no. And so, are some, not... and so are some of mine. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. But I work from a scientific basis on how plants grow. Ken Crowther, answering your gardening questions. This is BBC Essex. Let's go back to the phones and talk to Ted in Harlow. Hello, Ted. Hi, good morning, Ken. Good morning, Jeff. Morning, um, Ted. Just advice, please, on should I and when can I move a hydrangea? It's about three foot high and about three foot diameter, but we'd like to put it in a different place in the garden. Um, how, um, how old is it, Ted? How long has it been in? Um, it was in a pot originally about two years ago, and it's been in the ground. We moved it from the pot into the ground. So and now you don't... For a couple of years. And now you don't like where it is? Uh, well, we, we want to change the, the bed where it is and move it into, the, into another place. Poor little hydrangea being moved yeah. around all over the place. So it can look... It, it will look better where it is, basically. OK, um, as, it's, um, as it's still quite a young plant, as it's only been yeah. in the ground for two years, it should move pretty right. easily. Yeah. The time to do it is when it is completely dormant, so yeah. probably from about November onwards when all the leaves are have dropped. Now, yeah. when, you, when you move deciduous plants, mm -hmm. it's usually a good idea to cut the stems back by a half, two-thirds, yeah. because you can then take some of the stress off the roots, because right, when you yeah. dig it up, you're probably not going to dig up every single root, and that will cause stress to it come next spring and summer. Unless yeah. you can, unless you can pick, you know, take up a, an absolutely massive piece of soil that doesn't disturb the roots at all, which very yeah. few of us do properly. Mm -hmm. So, right. so what I would say is, before you move it, is that you 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 cut the stems back by about half and and then dig it up and move it. However, with hydrangeas, mm -hmm. if you cut the stems back, then you are cutting off the flower buds. Yeah. So yeah. next year you won't get any flowers, or you'll get very few flowers on it. But I would still right. recommend that um, as as a course of action. And before you lift it, give yeah. the day before you lift it, thoroughly soak the soil so that the roots are fully charged with Be water. Because usually right. they are dry mm -hmm. underneath. They're usually dry underneath those hydrangeas. Okay, fine. Right, thank you very much indeed. No worries. Okay, Ted, that's Ted in Harlow. We go to Sheila in Church Langley about your wisteria. Is that right, Sheila? Oh, yes, yes. It's, it's gone all a bit mad. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm wondering, is it the right time to prune it now? No, you're about halfway between the, <laughs> the, two, two, the two times that you prune. Did you cut oh. off, all, you know, all the wispy bits in the summer? Right. Did you cut any of those off? Um, no, no. Oh. So that hasn't been done either, Jeff. So what would you do? Would you? Okay, I prune those back now. 
Uh, you the the main pruning time, Sheila, are July stroke August and December stroke January. Oh right. Which is why you're in between the two. Oh. But as as it's only just kind of the end of August, it. you could probably get away with it by doing it now. So the summer pruning, the July August pruning that you could still do now, you basically cut back all those long whippy growths. Right. That, have, that have gone everywhere, unless they are stems that you need to train in oh, to right. cover the support. But all those long whippy growths, uh, I would cut them back because you're doing it a bit late. I would cut them back to about nine leaflets from where they join the main sort of framework of branches. Right. right. So, you can, so you can do all that now. And, and roses? What about roses? Hang on a minute, hang on a minute. We haven't finished with your wisteria yet. <laughs> this is why you're not getting any flowers on it and it's going bonkers. December, January, you then, those stems or those shoots that you cut back now, December, January, you cut those back to the, to being about an inch or two buds long. long. Right. So you really hard prune the ones that you are going to prune this week. And right. that then encourages the uh, production of, of the flower snow. buds. Oh, right. OK, thank you. There's roses entwined in it. And I'm thinking, would it be okay to prune the roses as well? So, which what, what sort of roses? roses? roses. These climbing roses? Uh, I, I would think so, yes, because it's gone right up with the wisteria. Okay, so there might be rambling roses. Um, Probably. Yeah, uh, you can still do it. Now. Ramblers, you would cut at this time of year anyway, and and climbers, uh, you, and climbers you won't do any won't harm by doing that at the same time. So yes, you can you can get the whole thing out done. of the way in one go by doing both together. And is right. wise to feed them with anything? Nope. No, no, no. spring. Not at this time of year. Plants, plants only need feeding when they are actively growing. And they come into growth from March, depending on when the, the weather warms up, and they stop growing towards the end of this month in October. So if you are feeding plants from now onwards... It's a waste. It's a complete waste. And also, if you overfeed them, then they will burn the roots. Let's go to Jim in East Tilbury. Hello, Jim. Good morning. Potatoes. Uh, yes, I've got an allotment. And yep. basically, I earth up my uh, potatoes, as most people do, but I've noticed that on some of my potatoes, when the soil, if I'm weeding in between the potatoes, some of the potatoes get exposed to yep. the light and they've turned green. That's right. Can I save them potatoes and use them as seed potatoes, or would they be poisonous? <laughs> Right. Um, there's two answers to there. Two things there. Yeah. Um, first of all, I would uh, personally and uh, and which gardening uh, agree with me? I would personally never ever save potatoes with that green. I've grown. No, no, no. Whether they're green or oh. white or pink or purple, I would never save potatoes that oh, I've I grown and use them as seed potatoes the following year. You will never get as good a crop as buying, as buying proper certified seed potatoes if you want to have a go and you want to risk it um and you and you know and, and you get a bad crop then then don't blame me because i told you not to do it so um so I, you, I, you can try you can try for a, for, a, for an experiment i guess because if they are all green you can't eat them anyway so you're probably nah, going to chuck no. them out so you might as well have a go but you won't get as good a crop as if you bought seed potatoes this whole thing about green potatoes yes if a potato turns green and you eat it 
it could kill you or you will certainly be harmed because they are poisonous. It doesn't mean that if you then plant it, that the, the potatoes that form next year are going to be poisonous. They will only be poisonous if, if, they, if they are green and exposed <laughs> to sunlight. It's like, it's like rhubarb leaves. Everybody, you know, we all know rhubarb leaves are poisonous. And then people say, well, you can't put it on a compost heap. Yes, you can. Because it'll make you, you compost poisonous. See? Can okay. One more thing. Yes. Uh, about three months ago, I phoned you up about my front lawn. And I took your advice. I killed all the lawn and the weeds. Right. Ground up. Okay. I dug it. I dug it by hand. Good. And left it uh, for about a month. And then, because I've got a small tiller, I decided I'd leave it to settle. I sieved all the small stones out. Right. And then I thought I'd get my tiller on it, get it to a fine tilt. Yep. And then spread it out. In between time, I snapped two fingers in half with Ouch. my rotavator down the long, uh, down the allotment. And uh, since then, I've done, took your advice. I smoothed it off and seeded it. And the lawn now is coming along perfect. They are. Three. Some good advice. Thank you, Jim. So it was perfect advice. Thank you very much indeed. Jim, and enjoy growing those potatoes and let us know how you get on if you try them. But worth a try. Worth-ish a yeah, try. Come on, let him give a go. Okay, yeah. 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 Um, John from Great Cornard. Is that right? Yeah, is that yes, right, that's John? right. Yep. And how can we help you? You're, you're talking about sand bees. Is that right? And that's what we've been led to understand on the internet. That well, they they like the wasping, but they keep making holes in the lawn. They yep. do, yeah. And then we've got like little molehills now in, on the lawn, and um, I mean, we we were told they just lay eggs there and go off. Yep. Um, but I mean, that's causing us a bit of a problem. We're both disabled, really, and, and pensioners, and what we were a bit worried about it. Anyway, somebody suggested something called lemon ammonia. <laughs> I don't know what that is. No, neither do I. And it's what are you a, trying to do? And, and it sounds illegal anyway. But what are you trying to do? Are you trying to kill them then? Well, no. Well, they said that won't kill them. I'll just send them off, but I don't know. We don't want to kill them, really. But they, I mean, somebody said they'll just go away and come back next year. Yeah, or they, or they, or, or, or if you leave them alone, they may go away and not come back next year. Um, this is one of the many it's, species it's, of of solitary minor bee that we have in this country. It's very important. The vast majority of them are endangered or in very low numbers. They do not sting, uh, so there's no, you don't need to worry about you know if you've got children or you're allergic to stings. They they uh, do not sting us, um, and personally. Um, I think they should be encouraged rather than discouraged. If you okay. get if you get little mounds of soil appearing on the lawn, which they as they mine, you sometimes do get. You yeah. know, all, all you need is a bees and broom and and just brush them away. I I I I'm afraid I will not in um, enter any conversation get about getting rid of or, or killing <laughs> any 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 so, minor bees. So the real answer is, John. I would we said put a hose them down with a hose. Well, it's, it's you're you're well, dry, that, you'll well, kill that, them. Well, that'll kill them. They'll kill them, John. Uh, honestly, you need to leave them. They're 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 an important species in this country. All right. All right. 
Okay, well, thanks very much for your help. Live, That's all right, John. Bear li- with it. Live with them and enjoy them. Yeah. Let's talk. Um, let's talk. Where we're we going to talk? We're going to talk in Thorpe Bay about tulips in containers. Isn't that right, Steve? Yes. Good morning. It is. I'm just about to plant them in plastic pots. Yep. And once I've done them, it's where the best place to place them until spring. Okay. Well, tulips are, are, are pretty hardy. So uh, they'll tolerate they'll, most compositions, uh, won't just, they? Just shove them wherever you want them to. If you've d- got a display. warmer aspect, they might flower a bit earlier. That's all. If you put them on south fa- against the south-facing well, wall, well, against that's the north, I thought against against the fence, and then I was just going to put a slight uh, layer of gravel on on top of the bulbs, just in case the squirrels. Go uh, okay, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, or wire netting possibly yeah. for squirrels. I mean, if squir- if squirrels want your tulips, Steve, they- they'll they'll get rid of gravel. All oh, right, right. So, so if, so if you've got problems, net. if you've got yep. problems, get some chicken wire. Yep. And put the chicken wire one inch above the tulip bulb. Yep. Yep. And one to one and a half inches below the level of the uh, the final level of the compost. Oh, that's great! So you won't actually see the wire. Oh no, you don't see no. the wire. It goes under the compost. Yeah, uh, but it needs to be an inch above the tulip. Yep. No, I can do that. And the tulip's about four inches deep in the. Yeah, the that box. would. Yeah, that would work. Right. That would work for the vast majority of them. So that's fabulous. And. September, I know everybody says you should plant, plant your tulips now. in November. Everybody now thinks that's a load of rubbish. So you can plant your tulips along with your daffodils and all your other spring flowering bulbs rather than having to wait a couple of months. Right, Helen in London. Hello, Helen. Hello. What would you like to know? Well, I've got some rhubarb growing. Yes. And I wondered if it was too late to pull it. And uh, a couple of the leaves are going a bit yellowy now. Yeah, it's, it's so another one. It's another one that's really lovely, isn't it? Because if you a lot of a lot of books will say, "Oh, you shouldn't pull it after July." That's right. As if it's a cut-off date. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. it a cut-off date, Jeff? Mm, no, not 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 strictly. But I certainly wouldn't be pulling. Well, actually, are they... <laughs> So you've got no, some. I've got him tongue-tied. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm just thinking this through logically in my head. Shall I tell you something? When I went to Tip Tree just one month ago, yep. they were still pulling rhubarb because the crown was healthy enough and had enough stems to put was, the goodness back into things. That was just what I was about to ask. And that's what it's about, isn't it? Yeah. So you've got some that have got yellow leaves. Helen. A couple of them, but most of the stems are firm because I've just been out and had a little feel round. And have you got a, a, a lot of stems to each crown? Yeah, quite. I've only got a small garden, but for the amount, yes. Okay, so yeah. certainly those with yellow leaves I would pull, definitely, because yeah. the reason that you don't pull after the end of July is that you've got to build the strength of the plant up so that it fruits next year. Oh, and, right. and And so obviously... Plants need their leaves to produce their food. So you leave as yes. much leaf on so it produces as much food so that it produces as big a plant to give you as much rhubarb next year. So those that have got yellow leaves on, they're not going to be able to produce food. So you can certainly uh, cut and harvest those stems. And if you've got loads and loads and loads of leaves, at this time of year, it's not going to be making that much uh, food for next year. So I would take probably, say, up to a third off. So I just leave some stems in the ground. You've got to leave some stems and some, with, obviously, with some leaves on. You've got to do that, but you could probably take a third of them away to eat. 
Oh, right, yeah. So and that, that, uh, and haven't we custard? Because it's much nicer with custard than cream. Oh, I love it with custard. It's much oh, better than with manure, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. All right, thank you very much. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Every Saturday from 11. Thank you, Helen, for the rhubarb question. I just uh, wanted to now go to Pat in Holland-on-Sea. Hello, Pat. Hello, Ken. Now we're I moving want... plants. You know, everybody yeah. wants to move plants, don't they, Pat? What are you <laughs> trying to move now? Uh, a choice here. Can I, can I move a choice here? Dig it up and move a choice here. Well, the question's going to be, how old is it? Uh, it's about four years old. OK, yeah, it should, get away with it, it should move quite all right, Pat. Well, um, this time of the year? Well, mo- usually the best time to move evergreens is in the spring, early spring. In spring. So if you, can, yeah. if you can wait that long, you'd get yeah, better results. Yeah, I can. If not, I just wanted you could to do find now. out when right. to move it. Spring's best time. And like, I, and like and I said to Ted about his hydrangea, cut it back by about half before you move it. Okay. Okay, right. Next. And another question <laughs> I'd like to ask. Yeah. The pyrocanther. Uh-huh. Um, can, when can I prune a pyrocanther? Because There's... it's getting too big and I want to cut it smaller. And I don't know when to prune it because I'm, I'm afraid of... Okay, uh, if, you get, if you get three... If you get three gardening experts in a room... They'll all disagree. They'll, you'll get about 12 different answers as to when you prune pyrocanther. Depends per- whether you want the flower or the berry. Personally... Well, I want both, actually. Exactly, you want both. So, personally, I do it after the flowers fade in summer. Because in that, summer. Because that way, once, once the flowers fade, that means that's where the berries are going to be. So, you know where the berries will be come the autumn. So, you can prune back... To that point, if you want to keep that bunch of berries, or if that piece of growth goes where you don't want it, you can take that out, but you'll 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 lose those. So what berries. happens if you prune it in the winter when the yeah. berries are on it? Because then you can see where the berries are. Yeah. Yeah. But if you yeah. prune in summer, you will remove a lot of that growth that hides the berries. The okay. berries are already yeah. hidden. Yes, that's what I don't want to do. So after flowering. After flowering. Thank you very much indeed. That's Pat from Holland-on-Sea, and we go to Judy. Judy, you've got a red robin, haven't you? I have. I've got a huge, huge red robin. Yeah, it's about six foot across and about ten foot high. That's tiny, Judy. God, don't don't show off. That's small. Is it? (laughs) Yeah, they get much bigger than that. What do you want to know about it? (laughs) Um, I wanted to know when I can start um, pruning it. Pro- probably about a year in. probably about a year ago before it got too big would have been a good <laughs> idea judy no when's oh, the best time of year then jeff um i would i always prune them in uh, late spring right okay if you do it Is now that after the first flush of red yes Right, if you okay. do it now and we get a severe winter, you could get some die back yeah. into the cut. So I, I certainly wouldn't be doing it uh, while we're going to be leading into autumn and winter. Okay, yeah, because it's very dense, and I like to make my bushes into like either squares, triangles, or something. Oh, Judy, you don't, do you? I do, I do. Oh, okay. My son's autistic, and he loves it. All right, okay, well that's well, fair enough. Funny to see a triangle bush. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Send us a picture. I'd like to see a, tri- a triangle bush as yeah, well. So would I. Anyway, thank you, Jodie, from South End on Sea. Lovely to hear from you. Sunny South End. Let's go across to Dagnam now to talk to Peter. Peter, what you got for us? Good morning, Ken and uh, Jeff. Uh, we, unfortunately, we've been hit 
in Dagenham and in, in Essex by the dreaded fuchsia gall mites. Yep. Uh, pretty bad, actually. Um, obviously, in fact, I've read a few things. I'm just wondering whether, in fact, you have any any idea what I can do to sort of bring them back to life. You can't. OK, so uh, where, 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 where are your fuchsias? Have you got them in pots in a greenhouse or are they in beds and borders? Yeah. Well, the ones, in fact, that we've got in pots, I've got rid of. OK. Uh, I'm more concerned about the ones that are in the garden that have been there years. In fact, we had a fuchsia competition at our Greenfingers Gardening Club a couple of weeks ago, and obviously people weren't aware and actually brought them in. So, in other words, it's quite wide. Not good. OK, yeah. well, the, the usual recommendation, if you go on the RHS website, is uh, the, there's yeah. nothing you can do. You, you, you dig up your plant and you, and you burn it and kill it. Um, or, or if you can't burn and kill it in your own property, you want to send it away to the uh, to, local authority. To the council. Yeah. So, so I, 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 think, I think there are some things that you can do, pers- personally. Um, um, Obviously, if you prune your plants, then you will remove some of the mites, yep. and they yep. tend to appear in the growth at the tips of stems. That's right. But yeah. uh, if you gave your fuchsia plant a light tipping now, I don't recommend pruning fuchsias no, in no. the autumn, but if you give it a light tipping, i.e. to remove all the tips of all the shoots, that yep. would remove quite a lot of the mites, and obviously bag that immediately. Don't let the don't let them drop on the ground. Put them no. in a bag immediately, and then put them out for the council to get rid of uh, once you've done that. So that will remove that will remove doom and gloom. No, 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 not gloom and doom <laughs> at all. That's what if you listen to some people, they'll tell you it's doom and gloom. So tip it, remove all the cuttings. I would right. then give it a spray with yeah. um, Bug Clear Ultra. Right, it's okay. not a recommended um, insecticide for uh, fuchsia gall mite, but I think it may have some effect. So, so give it a spray. over the ones in the garden then. Well, that's what I'm trying to say, yeah. yeah so yeah, Bug yeah. Clear Ultra, and then next year it is well worth from as soon as it starts to February, come into March. leaf. As soon as it starts to come into leaf, obviously keep a very close eye on it. I would spray with Bug Clear Ultra again then when it comes into leaf, but obviously throughout the spring and summer, keep a very close eye on it, and as soon as you see the symptoms, start nipping off affected shoots. OK, right. In other words, it's worth a try, but the recommendation we can't, because they're trying to eradicate it, basically, which they've got their work cut out, haven't they? Well, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the, yeah. it, it, it's such a tiny mite, you'll, oh, no. you'll never eradicate right. it. Right, and just, I hope Cathy, who'd sent us an email about fuchsia mites, heard that, oh, right. because okay. there's the information that you've just got um, about that as well. So they are. Thank you to Cathy for that. The number to call is 0300 200 4041. That's 0300 200 4041. It's as good as that on the gardening hour. Jeff Hodge, Ken Crowther, answering your gardening questions. 0300 200 4041, and there's a line free at the moment, and we talk to Eve in Harlow. Hello, Eve. Hello, both. Um, what I was going to ask, how long can you keep packets of seeds? Depends whether they are still foil... Uh, are they still in their foil packs on the inside that haven't been opened, or have they been opened? No, they've not been opened. They, they came from a magazine, you know, the gardening magazine. My husband used to get them every month or so. OK. And... Um, they were on there, and he just put them in a drawer and left them. What do you think, Jeff? So, uh, it, a, a lot depends on how they have been kept, and basically by cool. that I mean the temperature. 
If, if you think about the, the, the seed bank at Kew Gardens, they keep seeds for hundreds of years and they keep them by keeping them nearly frozen. So, so oh. obviously the colder the temperature, the longer your seeds will survive. So, I mean, I've got some seeds. I mean, I, I'm Welsh and I'm very mean. Um, I, I've got I've got some seeds, and the seed packet has been opened. I've opened the foil packet, but then I've folded it over, and then folded it over, yeah. put it in a plastic container, and put it in my fridge in the garage. And I've got some seeds that are at least twelve years old, and I because I can't buy them anymore. He's tight. I am tight. I I I, can, I they will still sow. The real thing is, is it depends on the variety of seed as well. Well, also it? things like parsnips won't yeah. keep. Some no. seeds won't keep for as long as others. So the answer is that you try a few seeds on a on a bit of toweling or a kitchen towel. Kitchen, can't damp you? damp kitchen towel. Put put a few seeds on, and and if you get you know a reasonable a reasonable number germinate, then you know you can use them. It's well worth. Sowing. Does that help you, Eve? Yes, lovely. Thank you very much. I was going to give them away, actually. So, um, I mean... Well, it might be a nice. It, it might be a nice present for somebody, or it, it might not. Or it might be the booby prize. <laughs> Depends which way they work. Well, we're talking to Bill in just a moment. It waits calm, but I've got uh, a note here from Mary in Whittam. She says, "Could you help me with my acer tree?" So it's just that we've mentioned acer trees earlier. Mm-hmm. Why do the leaves on the tree turn black at the ends? That's the first question. Okay. Could it be? Strong winds of yes, late. Yes. Is it being grown in a large... It is grown in a large terracotta pot. Not watered enough. All the leaves at the bottom do not do this, so it's more likely to be wind then, isn't it? Yep, I would say yeah. so. Um, wind acts like a vacuum cleaner, yep. if, if you think about it, and it sucks water out of the leaves. And if that water isn't replaced by the roots, then the leaves start to suffer. And it's the edges yep. which are the most susceptible. So leaf edges always go brown first when you've got drying out and wind problems. And she's got another one that dropped its leaves six weeks ago. That's also in a pot. Uh, she planted them last year. Well, that's not been watered enough either, then. It's lack of water, isn't it? Yeah. The, the, the roots absorb water. The leaves lose water. If the plant isn't getting enough water through its roots, i.e. the soil or the compost isn't moist enough, the plant goes, oh, my God, I'm not getting enough water. I better drop my leaves so that I don't dry out completely and die. They are. Ken Crowther, answering your gardening questions. This is BBC Essex. I said I would talk to Bill from Wakes Cone, and yes, there you are, Bill. You've rung us on 0300 200 4041, haven't you? Yeah, I have indeed, Ken. Thank you. Uh, Yes, Ken, uh, I planted some mustard seed on my vegetable plot because I finished with it, and it's now got to... Two foot high. So you're using this as a green manure, Bill? Yes, I am. Um, right. Should I be dig- leaving it or digging it in now? Okay, the whole the whole point of, of doing uh, green manure is that it is kept over the winter months so that it right. holds the soil together uh, and so therefore nutrients aren't washed out of the soil by winter rain and the more it grows therefore the more material you've got to dig in um, and so therefore the better the, the soil improvement so i would definitely leave it until not not spring as such because that might you know you've got to let it rot before you can start sowing or planting so i usually tend to do mine early february thank you that's all i want to know lovely yeah. okay. yeah. nice short sharp answer but the one you were looking for um george pegram from kelvin sent us a lovely picture of this plant with all the black berries in it 
and he wants to know what he's got. A big spike of blackberries and quite long leaves. And they're sort of holding a leaf, yes. Yes. It's as if the leaf's run round them, doesn't it? Uh, The common name is American pokeweed, and its botanical name is Phytolacca, which is P-H-Y-T-O-L-A-C-C-A. Um, it's poisonous, isn't it? It is poisonous, so do not eat the berries. Or if you get the juice of the berries on your fingers, make sure you wash your fingers straight afterwards. Um, it is very attractive and ornamental. The, and ber- the birds the, love it. Birds love it. Berries look brilliant at this time of year, but you do have to just be a little bit careful that you, um, you don't start chewing on it. OK. Uh, let's now go to Sharon in Whittam. Hello, Sharon. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Jeff. Hello. Um, this may be a sort of a strange question. No, we like strange ones. Oh, good, good. This is all to do with potatoes. Now, if you bear with me, we have an allotment and we have had a lot of slug damage on our potatoes this year. Mm-hmm. Now, we did put the slug pellets underneath. Good, now, that's what question, I do. My question is, is I thought that slug pellets actually attracted slugs because they like them. I know it kills them, and I'm thinking, well, why do we put them round potatoes to attract the slugs when we don't want them to eat the potatoes? Does they, that make cause, sense? Because they eat the, eat the slug pellets. <laughs> do they not? Yeah, but why are they still eating the potatoes, Ken? I well, mean, I'll, well, obviously, no, I see what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah, it's a very good question. It, it, it's not true that what's in a slug pellet attracts slugs. It's not as if you They're put a, a bait. It's not as if you put a slug pellet down and all the slugs from about five gardens away look over the garden fence and go, "Wow, look, there's a slug pellet! Off we go, lads!" <laughs> they are based on on bran meal. That's 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 the main bulk of a slug pellet is bran really? meal. Yes, which yeah. is which is food, which is food for a slug. So yes, it doesn't attract them as such, but it, once they're there in the area where the slug pellet is, they'll go, oh yeah, that's nice because we like we like eating bran meal. So it it attracts them in that way, and then obviously once they're eating the slug pellet, they'll take in the active ingredient that kills them. Right, I see. Now, oh. now probably what happened with your potatoes is that there were slugs in the area, so they were, in inverted commas, attracted to the slug pellets, at the slug pellets, and then once they'd eaten all the slug pellets, there were no more slug pellets to kill any more slugs that came in later, and so they ate your potatoes. And that's I it. See. Um, um, what sort of volume w- would you recommend putting under potatoes in the allotment? The, recom- the, the, recommended, the, the as- recommended application rate that it says on the container. If you put more, it has no effect at all. So oh, therefore, f- so therefore, four to six inches apart is f- for most slug pellets what they recommend. So you put them, you place them four to six inches apart underneath the potatoes. Well, that's brilliant. Thank you ever so much for your help. I'm Pleasure. Uh, not so confused now. Hooray! Okay, well done. That's good. Nice to hear from you there. I am Beverly in Chelmer Village. Hello, Bella v- Beverly. Hello. Good morning. Hi. Um, I'd like to replace some shrubs in my garden. So would I. Do you know somebody that can give me some for nothing? <laughs> <laughs> well, these are these are sort of gone, you know, a bit seedy and everything. I want okay. to replace them, but I can't get. I can't get them out of the ground. The roots. What is there? Is there a magic way of getting the you know the big roots out? Yeah, get get somebody in to do it for you. <laughs> is it, I mean, is the, there a time of year when the when the ground is softer? Yeah, winter. Winter. Autumn and winter when Autumn it's wetter. Autumn and winter when it's wetter. Um, 
You have you. Tr- I mean, these shrubs. I mean, a lot of shrubs. I think people take out when it's not necessary because if the shrubs were nice shrubs, sometimes it's worth cutting them down to literally to six inches from the ground and see whether they reshoot. Because a lot of things like berberuses and viburnums and probably most of them they will grow from the base. Then, if they don't grow from the base in the spring, you dig them out and throw them away. But if you can't dig them out. Just let you can just, just leave them just there. leave them there, and the roots will die. Does oh, it help you? There's there's nothing you can there's nothing you can spray on the plant no. that will make it disappear. If no. you can either do what Ken suggests, which is a great idea, or you have to dig the roots out. Okay. Does that oh, help I'll, you? I'll try it when, when it's wetter in the, in the winter. I think that might be the... Yeah. I, I can't get a spade in at the moment. No, no it's pretty hard there. At what, the I, what I would do is um, have a party... And get all and, your... <laughs> and, and invite lots of strong men around and supply them with some beer and lots of, and lots of barbecue food, sausages, burgers, because us men, we love that sort of stuff. And then once they are fed and half drunk, you then give them spades each and tell them to go and dig all those plants up for you. You like that. That's uh, a bit sexist, you know. Women like digging plants out as well. I know they, they do. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's, um, I just want to get this email in quickly. Uh, I showed you a picture tonight of an orange tree. It's grown outside. Yes, it's yep. in a large container made of old, old rail sleepers. It's 10 years old growing outside. She covers it over. It's a shelter position, covers it with fleece every winter. The older leaves have become mottled. However, the new ones are nice and clean. She gives it seaweed extract feed. Um, is there anything to worry about? OK, well, in the picture, I, I, can't, just yellow I, I, I can't see what the mottling is. It looks like just a bit of yellowing mottling, okay, doesn't well, it? Um, citrus, in fact, nearly all plants, even evergreens, you know, once their older leaves have got so old that they are no good at photosynthesis, i.e. they're no good at making food for the plant, the plant says, well, what's the point of hanging on to you, mate? You're, you're rubbish, you're not making any food for me, so I'm going to ditch you. So they slowly start taking the nutrients out of the leaf, so it starts to go mottled and, and deteriorate and goes yellow, and then eventually will fall off. So it could simply be that, or it's not being fed enough. She says she's feeding it, but yes, try more food in the next spring because it's growing as a bigger well, plant. It looks like a big plant. It's a big so, plant. So it, need, it needs a lot of food. Regu- regular it's like, liquid it's like you. feeding. You're a, you're, a big, yep. you're a big bloke. You need more food than I do. Anita from Rochford, though, wants to ask about a gardenia, don't you, Anita? Yes, good morning. Yes, Ken. Yeah, I've got a little gardenia in a pot at the moment. And I just want to know, is it on the kitchen ledge window at the moment? Should I just leave it inside or put it out? Um, is it is it flowering, Anita? No, it hasn't started flowering. No. Okay, and how long have you had it? About a month now. And you and you, so you, there was no flowers on it when you bought it. No, there wasn't. No. Okay, um, you're not going to like what I'm going to say, but I'm going <laughs> to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. What I would do is I would take it. I'd go out your back uh, your back door. And probably somewhere near your back door, you've got one of these large receptacles that the council supply you with, and they and they pick <laughs> them up cruel. and they pick them up on a regular basis. And I would lift the lid and I would throw the gardenia in it, because oh. they it, are the most difficult, difficult things to get fl- to flower. Well, they that, really are. I, I can't believe that you, that somebody uh, you sold, you, sold a, you one without, without flowers flower. on. Because you will, in a good garden centre, you will never, ever, ever see a gardenia that's not in flower. The impossible thing after that is, is to, to, get, it is to get it to flower again. They are the most difficult plants. And 
the fact that it ha- the fact that it hasn't got any flowers. I mean, I can tell you all that you need to know on how to get it to reflower, but you probably won't be able to get it to flower. If you can, then uh, I'll give you a tenner. There you go. There you go. There's a, there's a there's if a bet. Not, enjoy it as a green plant. <laughs> yeah, they are they they are but they're difficult. They are very difficult. Sorry, Anita. A wi- a very wind- negative. A, but... a windowsill is not the place to grow a gardenia. You need a conservatory. At the, at the very least. So that, that's 40 grand's worth yeah. of, of equipment that you're going to have to buy. Let's move on to eating crab apples, Carolyn Rayleigh. What would you like to know? Yes, you can eat crab apples or can't you? Is that the question? It is indeed, yes. OK, the answer is you can't eat them raw because they are quite sour. You'd probably get... You an... could. They're not poisonous. No, they're not poisonous. Of course they're no. not poisonous. No, no. Uh, you would get a nasty bellyache if, if you ate lots of them. There so... are li- they're like eating cooking apples. A, 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 a very, very, very sour, sour cooking, cooking apples. apples. But what oh, most... right. So what should I do with them? Most people make... Post- Make jam. People make jam out of them. Jam or, and jellies. And jellies. They're fabulous. Oh, right. They're fabulous in jam and jelly. But they they really are too bitter to eat. Um, you know, as as a as an apple in inverted commas. Right. And Carol. Yes. You've got lots of them. I've so got if, quite a few. Yes. On yeah. Quite I mean, a small, it's worth. Um, tree. Yeah, it's worth. I mean, it it is worth. You know, I think you put them in. Don't you? My dad used to put them in muslin, and then you get all the juices come out, and you make a jelly. Yeah, they're out very of it. high in pectin, so yeah. they they they, oh. they, they, they set well. They're don't good they? to add to other jams and jellies that you're making. So definitely okay. don't waste them, Carol. No. Okay. Thank you for your. All help. right. Well, thank thanks you. for your call. Look forward to hearing about the uh, crab apple jelly. Rece- look forward to receiving a jar. <laughs> yes, or two. You're cheeky, Chris in Hockley. Hello, Chris. Hello there. What would you like to know? I want to know, I've been told to put a winter wash on my fruit trees. Yeah. I want to know what it is and when to do it. <laughs> right. Okay. So the when to do it is dormant period, November onwards, isn't it, Jeff? Well, funnily enough, a winter wash you put on in winter. So yeah. any time from late November through to January. Mm-hmm. Um the, the winter wash that we all used to use many years ago and was absolutely fabulous has been taken off the market. It is now illegal to use it and you can no longer buy it. There is a replacement winter wash, which is made by a company called Growing Success, and it's Growing Success Winter Wash. And to be perfectly honest, it cleans t- up a bit. It's probably, if you've got lots of trees and big trees, It'll probably be a complete waste of time. But if you've got a small one, it might be worth trying. It might be worth trying. But it, that's the only one that is uh, available to us amateur gardeners now, but it's not as effective as in the olden days. Does that help you, Chris? Well, it does. It really sort of gives me the idea that I won't bother. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Chris. That's what I was trying to tell you without telling you. He doesn't want to be too rude, you see. All right? That saved you. you. That saved you a job. You can go and enjoy the weekend now. Right, I've just got a couple to get through. I've still got squash plants on the allotment that are flowering, but no fruit yet. Shall I rip them up? (laughs) There's no fruit. Yes, absolutely. They're not. They're not going to fruit. I've grown lettuce seedlings. Should I be brave and put them out on the allotment or put them in containers in the cold greenhouse? Greenhouse. Greenhouse. Definitely. Definitely. And we did have the fungi, which I did show you. That was from D in South End. Um, I I didn't. I didn't see any. That was the lawn. Yes, you see any fungi. No, they were little... What's little, his name? Little, What's his name, this fun guy? D from, D from South End. The little, um, little toadstools. Toadstools on the lawn. Do you remember them? I do remember them. They look lovely. They were but, very picturesque. But they're picturesque. probably not edible, so please don't eat them. No. Um, if they're in a circle, then they are a fairy ring, which is a bit more of a problem. If they're just scattered all over the place, what I do is when I get really frustrated with life or people that I don't like, I go out onto the lawn and I give them a really good kicking to get rid of them because that's the easiest and the quickest way to deal with 
with them, give a damn good kicking. They're feeding on organic matter that's rotting in the soil, and once that's used up, they'll disappear. If they're fairy rings, they're a little bit more difficult. So the group, the only way to, to deal with fairy rings is, again, be patient, because they grow bigger each year, and eventually they'll grow into your next-door neighbour's garden and leave your lawn alone. Or if you want to try and treat them, you can use ferric... Um, uh, ferrous sulfates which you can buy from a garden centre one ounce in one gallon of water for one square yard make sure that you treat the whole of the circle especially the green bits around the edge and spike it with a garden fork first to make sure it goes into the soil they are he's answered D from Southend Jeff Hodge my guest this week thank you very much for pleasure joining us as to always do- happy gardening Essex the BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther every Saturday from 11 Jeff, at this time of the podcast, we look at some of those things we could be doing in the garden. Now, I must just mention the weather. It's very autumnal, and in fact, it's gone very cool at nights, hasn't it? Very cool at nights, which is, you know, good news, really. It's always good to have proper weather at the proper time of year for us gardeners. Yeah, and and it, it is doing that, isn't it? I mean, September, once you're into September, halfway through September, cool nights don't hurt. We don't want frost yet, though, do we? No, we don't want frost at all, ever. Ever. <laughs> so as we are in September and, and the weather is typically yes. autumnal, we should do one of the major autumnal jobs, something that us gardeners really look forward to each year, and that's planting our spring flowering bulbs. And of course you have to get on with it, don't you, really, at this time? Well, September is the best month. OK, if, you know, if you... Your garden isn't ready or you've still got lots of summer bedding that's in full flower. You can leave it till October and, and even into November. But you will get much better results from your bulbs if you plant them in September. And then, of course, there's this whole thing about tulips. Of course, you have to leave tulips to November. Well, no, no you, you don't. You don't you anymore, don't. no. That was a, a bit of a myth, wasn't it? Total myth. And I don't know where it came from, but I've <laughs> spoken to quite a few tulip experts and they say, no, you just, just plant them in September with I, all your others. I think it was retailers trying to sort of Ooh, sell stuff in November, okay. but we yeah, won't upset that's them. Con- so. That's controversial. <laughs> so rather than doing most of your planting now and then thinking, oh, I've got to do the tulips in November, do it all, do it all in one go. Um, and of course, you know, you can use them in beds and borders. The vast majority of spring flowering bulbs will look fabulous in containers. You can do what's called lasagna planting, where you put levels of different species so that you get a, a, a fabulous really colorful long-lasting display um i know there are people who love to just sort of do a you know a, a, a well i was going to say a kaleidoscope but i'll actually call it a cacophony of color um i find that you'll get far better results if you can stick to to simple like. palettes of colors yeah. you know keeping your sort of yellows and reds and oranges together and maybe you know pinks and blues and whites together you'll get a, a, a far better looking display and of course you know there are so many things that oh, you can so plant vast, you know we've got alliums it? and we've got tulips we've got hyacinths there's chinodoxas there's scillas there's a huge range and then there's the daps and narcissi oh yeah let's not let's not forget about those and so you can be getting flower from you know december january all the way through to may and even into early june with some of the things like tulips so uh, it's it's a great job to do now and you will really reap the rewards next year by months of great color get out and buy now i'm going to be a bit more mundane because some of us have established apple trees others have got some of the newer varieties of uh, some of the dwarf ones in containers and even in the beds and borders but um there's always an eagerness to pick apples too early i always think 
And in fact, um, they're not well, as why, tasty. Well, why not? You've spent all summer looking no, at I them know, grow and you're desperate to eat them. Yes, I know. But if they're not ripe and fully mature, they just don't taste as don't. good as they no, should absolutely. do. Any fruit doesn't develop a full flavour no. unless it's allowed to mature properly. So really, it's all about, I'm, I know it sounds very old fashioned, but really it's, it's actually holding the apple in your hand and lifting it slightly and it will drop. If it's ready, it'll, it'll drop. It'll come off in your hand. It'll come yeah. off in your hand so easily. And a lot of the later varieties, I know I hate to mention Cox, but I mean Cox is one of the later varieties. Not my favourite for Essex, doesn't grow doesn't, doesn't, fantastically it's not a, it's in It's not Essex. an easy apple to grow. It's not. Things even, like russets Russet. are my favourite. Oh yes, you see russets is a real man's. They say it's a man's apple. Is that I don't right? know why. A bit earthy. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But or I, is that sexist? I have to be careful here. I, I, I love them. You know, as we come into winter, yeah. you, know, you can't beat a russet apple. And of course, we mustn't forget the pears. You've got Comis and William, and some of those you can keep. And same with the apples. If you've got a late producing apple, most of those you can save and hold into the winter and into right through the winter if you're really careful mm. you need to actually my old dad used to wrap them in newspaper and then lay them in boxes and of course the reason he was doing that was so that if one went off it didn't spread immediately oh, to, to the next the apple yeah. because you do have to check them if you're laying them in trays separate them but do also if you're not wrapping check them on a regular basis and, a, and only store sound ones so oh if, yes you know, if, if no you've got, bruises if you've got a bruise or a maggot hole or even a crack yeah. in the skin don't do it they won't store so no. we, so do eat those do eat those yes and therefore they've got to be kept frost free and cool cool cool, cool and, and frost free and dark helps and dark helps so they are apples and pears get out there and enjoy them indeed okay so i've done spring flowering bulbs they have a, a planting partner, which is our spring flowering bedding. That's right. So we've got, you know, wallflowers, fabulous wallflowers, um, Bellis Daisy, Sweet Williams. Mysotis. Mysotis, Primulas and Polyanthus. And again, September really is, if you can, if you're, you know, if you're, all your summer bedding is now going over, you can oik that out and replant with the spring flowering bedding and, and winter. A lot of it will, will, will flower in winter because basically the sooner you can get it in, the sooner it will establish and therefore is ready for the harsh winter. And that's particularly true of winter flowering pansies. Everybody says, oh, oh, winter yeah. flowering pansies didn't flower in the winter. They've got to be in bud and flowering, yeah, haven't they? If by the end of autumn there are no flower buds on your winter flowering pansies, they are not going to flower in winter. So the earlier you get them in, the bigger the plant that you buy and put in um, will ensure that you do get proper winter flowers mm. on your winter flowering pansies. Really important. Otherwise, there'll be summer flowering and spring flowering pansies. Which there's nothing wrong with, but no, don't grumble. But that's what you want them for. And of course, again, great in containers. So if you mm. and, and obviously hanging baskets as well. Lots of them look brilliant in hanging baskets. And of course, you can do the underplanting with bulbs. So you can get fabulous, huge displays by doing that. Yeah. Brighten up around the house. Absolutely. Now, herbaceous plants are still incredibly popular. Yes, and, and still a lot of them looking absolutely fabulous as we come into autumn. They are. Things like anemone. Aren't the anemones looking, looking great oh. this year? Yeah. And in fact, I think anemone is, is a sort of underrated plant because at this time of year it really looks good. Well, It'll I'll, go right through the frost. I'll, I'll up your underrated plants and asters, Michaelmas daisies, oh, yeah. and they are looking brilliant at uh, this time of year, this year particularly. Mm. Flowers are great. Now, however, 
if things have finished flowering and gone a bit sort of brown and yucky, tend to do some of them. I like to cut them down. I like to cut the plants down to pretty well ground level yep. and let the plant look. It looks tidier. You can put all the dead leaf off and your garden starts to look, to me, tidy again. Uh, you can leave, as we've said, all the stuff that's flowering and there's still plenty in the herbaceous border that is flowering. Yeah, but there are some good. people that don't like cutting back their oh, herbaceous I perennials. I think... Uh, wasn't it Adrian Bloom who did a, a book, didn't he, about all the seed yes, heads and yeah. these herbaceous? And he did some lovely pictures with frost and, and cobwebs and all that sort of thing. Yes, they do look lovely. but And some people say the birds like to eat well, the seeds. Well, some of them that, are, yeah. are, that have got seed heads, yeah. you can use them. Um, ladybirds will often overwinter yeah. protected in some of the seed heads. However, but, but you're right. Some of them, <laughs> I like the beds clean yeah. and tidy. A lot of, uh, a, a lot of more arty. Yes. Gardeners will say, well, yes, leave your seed, hems, seed heads on your sedums, for instance. They'll yeah. look ornamental and attractive. Well, they do look nice with frost on. They do look nice with cobwebs. But the, the rest of the time, they look but, dead. Yeah, cut them off. Tidy up that garden. What's your last tip there? OK, <laughs> last, that last tip. OK, um, not, not very sexy or exciting, but, uh, you know, weeds are still one of those things that put people off gardening or uh, a lot of people don't really th- realise that, you know, if you attack them early in the year when they're little seedlings, they're a lot easier to deal with. So they allow them to get big and then it's like, oh, well, I've got to now dig them out. Um, if you are going to go down the weed killer route, um, and personally, I think for some weeds, there is no better way or quicker or easier way of dealing with the really pernicious perennial weeds than using a, uh, a weed killer based on glyphosate. Uh, they do work a lot better when the weeds are actively growing, the vast majority of weed killers. And obviously now it's autumn, temperatures are dropping, weeds aren't growing as actively. So around now is probably your last chance for this year to apply a glyphosate-based weed killer if you've got you know, gr- ground elder, bindweed, mare's tail, all those horrible perennial weeds, Nasty that, we, weeds. that we get hundreds of questions we on, on BBC Essex about how to get rid of and control. Um, and actually, one last spray now at this time of year is actually a really good idea because the plants are dying back and they'll take the weed killer down to the roots quite effectively. But after about this month, after about the end of September... For the vast majority of weed killers, it's really no point in using. And in fact, if you drive around the countryside, you can see that the farmers have just done it as well, haven't yes, they? Yes, they have. Yes. So they are. It's a good so reminder, even, isn't it? Even they're clever. Yeah, they're getting it right. So they are. There's a few tips for you to carry out in your garden in the next week or so. In the meantime, the most important thing is don't make it hard work. Enjoy your garden. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. And if you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme and take it with you wherever you go. That's via our website, bbc.co.uk slash Essex. Next week, my guest will be Mick Lavelle from Rittle University College here in Chelmsford. And if you have a gardening question for us, why not give us a call and be part of the programme? That's every Saturday morning from 11 on BBC Essex. Ken Crowther, answering your gardening questions. This is BBC Essex.